The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you to all of you for joining us today. We're very glad that you're listening. We know we've got listeners across the U.S. and around the world, and we love hearing from you and are so glad to know that you're getting a lot out of Spirit of Recovery. We love getting your comments on Facebook. You can go to the Spirit of Recovery page on Facebook, and you can also email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm, and we're uh, always glad to hear from you, and thank you very much for participating. Thank you also for letting the people in your recovery community, your spiritual community, your unity community, your friends, your family, know about Spirit of Recovery and know about the great guests that we have here. We always uh, have bring you great topics that are of interest to people in the recovery community and to people that are just curious about the recovery process. Know that you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen um, certainly through your computer. You can listen on your smartphone. You can listen to the live programs. You can also listen to Spirit of Recovery on archives. Those are on at Unity uh, at Spirit of Recovery at Unity.fm and you or Unity.fm program. Spirit of Recovery, you can find us easily if you just go to unity.fm and uh, look for the Spirit of Recovery page and you'll find all of our archived programs and you can listen to those 24-7. It's great to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery and uh, again, I'm glad to know that what we're doing is making a difference for you and that it's helping you to uh, have one more connection into the recovery community and into your own spirituality, into your own sense of self. Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. If you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're a family member that's in your own recovery as a family member or a family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, uh, whether or not they're in recovery or whether you're just curious, looking for information about the process of recovery, you just want to know more about it. We're glad you're listening and we welcome you and we welcome your participation in our discussions. Again, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor, and I also have uh, in my own circle of love and friendship lots of people that have the disease of addiction, and uh, they got me uh, into my process of recovery, or my responses to them is a better way to put it, got me into my own process um, of recovery as a family member and uh, a lot of years ago and put me on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. So my walk is an integration of the unity principles, um, any kind of good spiritual principles uh, that uh, come into my life and these great recovery principles. And that transforms my life and keeps me growing. I'm delighted to have the opportunity to share with you on the topic of recovery and spirituality and to bring you guests. And our guests are always people who are down to earth, who are knowledgeable, who are practical, and who are walking a spiritual path and who either work work with or are themselves recovering people and sometimes all of the above. 
Today, again, we have another wonderful program for you. Our topic is Nourished by Spirit, and my guest is Heidi Vogt-Smith. Eating disorders really do have devastating consequences for health, for relationships, and even finances. Uh, eating disorders can be fatal. They are, they're serious. They have an impact on people. They have an impact on the people that love uh, folks with uh, eating disorders. And what we know is that recovery is possible. And recovery opens a way to deep nourishment and spiritual nourishment and a new way of living that is transformative. So today my guest, Heidi Vogt-Smith, who um, has been a guest with us here before on Spirit of Recovery. Heidi is a licensed professional counselor. She's the clinical director at Burning Tree Recovery Ranch, and you can find out about her work there at burningtree.com. And she also has co-created and co-facilitated there the family program workshop. She works with people uh, who are chronically relapsing from their addictions and, and works there in a very intensive program with them and their family members to support them in that long-term recovery, which is possible. Uh, Heidi also has an MA in theological counseling. She's been featured in um, the Arts and Entertainment Network's intervention program as well as the National Geographic series, How Drugs Work, and she blogs for Addiction Professional magazine. In addition to those uh, professional credentials and the wonderful work that she does uh, to support people's recovery, Heidi also um, had an eating disorder. When she was uh, in her younger years and through her devotion to recovery, she is in active recovery from that eating disorder. So Heidi, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. We're gl- very glad that you're here. So um, Heidi, tell us a little bit about um, how you came to be in recovery from an eating disorder. You know, I um, I it was it was funny. I actually started in um, graduate school um, to become a counselor and to get my um, my degree in theology as well. And something was pulling me towards that. Um, I had you know grown up with um, the addiction of my sister really impacting my life, and I knew that I wanted to be in the field. And as a part of the requirement for uh, the graduate program, you had to go into personal counseling for yourself. Um, And I had done some personal counseling for some other areas, but around that time, I realized how significant my um, eating issues were disrupting my life. And I began to really take myself on in that area. And I can remember one very specific day where I had an epiphany that, you know, I had never been particularly um, in the category of anorexic or bulimic. And so I had never categorized myself as somebody with an eating disorder because I wasn't making myself throw up four times a day and I wasn't, I didn't weigh 80 pounds. And so um, I I just didn't think I had an eating disorder. And I remember I, I had this moment of clarity that God gave me where I realized, well, if an eating disorder means I have disordered eating, then I guess I have an eating disorder. And that um, that really brought me to my knees and made me really realize, like, I've got a, I've got a problem here. And it was consuming every day um, of every week of every month of my life. Um, my, my consumption and my obsession with food and with dieting and uh, with my body. And so that was, that's really what started the process for me. And I realized very quickly that if my sister could have gotten sober through the 12 steps and if my friend could have gotten sober from um, an IV heroin addiction through the 12 steps, surely the 12 steps could work for me in this area. And so I quickly began working a 12-step program and, um, and have been in recovery ever since. That's great. Because people maybe aren't as familiar with eating disorders as they are with substance use disorders or addiction of, in the substance variety, would you be willing to s- describe for us a little bit more about how you said that, okay, I'm not anorexic, you know, I didn't weigh 80 pounds, I wasn't bulimic, throwing up. Um, what was it exactly that was happening for you, um, sure. How how is it that you were obsessed with food? 
Well, for me, I would put myself in the category of um, a compulsive overeater as well as um, really a compulsive dieter. Um, and it's, it, it, the word doesn't even really do justice to the, to the level of, of obsession that I had. Um, you know, I, um, I would say at one point I was a compulsive exercise, uh, exerciser as well. But I had taken diet pills um, numerous times in my life. I had um, obsessively, ex- I mean, I would say I was an exercise bulimic. Um, I don't know if that's a diagnosable term, but... What do you mean by that? Well, if I overate, then I would promptly go run for an hour. Um, Instead of throwing up, I would go exercise. And so, you know, I've heard that called exercise bulimia. Um, And so there were numerous ways in which I was trying to um, control and enjoy food at the same time while um, spending hours a day obsessing about what I was going to eat, what I was not going to eat, how I was going to control uh, what I ate the next day, how I was going to make right what I ate today. And um, the time spent was um, outrageous uh, that I spent in my eating disorder. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess that would be the best way to describe it. At various categories, I think, you know, I could have in times in my life – I definitely met the criteria for anorexia. I mean, I, in the three years in college, um, I restricted to the level that um, I was very, very sick. Um, I had to have my gallbladder out in college. I lost um, a tooth because I was so malnourished. My hair was falling out. Um, my nails were falling off. And, you know, I was incredibly malnourished because of the level that, to which I was starving myself. But the, it didn't last for a long time. It was kind of a short period of time in my life. And uh, most of my life, I've been a compulsive overeater and a compulsive dieter. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, again, because this is uh, a lot, in a lot of ways a societal issue, and it's certainly not just a, a women's issue. Obviously, men have eating disorders as well. And yet, uh, in some ways, it, it affects women in particular ways. It affects men in particular ways. What I'm curious about is, did anybody say anything to you or because you were in co- when you were in college okay this is a young woman in college did people just think well that's normal that's what young women in college do is watch yeah. their body watch their weight exactly yeah you know it was interesting because the part that was interesting is that when I started losing weight in college I needed to lose weight I was overweight and so everybody was really proud of me losing weight. Oh, you're looking great. You look so good. What are you doing? You know, you know, all of that. And then it hit a certain point where I, you know, I hit a normal body weight and I continued to lose weight. And at that point, people started asking questions and expressing concern. And then what um, was more concerning was watching how abnormal my eating patterns were. I ate the exact same thing every single day. I wouldn't go out to eat with my friends, and if I did, you know, I would eat salsa with a spoon, you know, at a Mexican restaurant, like things, very abnormal eating behaviors while everyone else is eating fajitas and queso and tacos. I'm eating salsa with a spoon, you know, that kind of stuff that um, was clearly abnormal. And so, yes, at some point people definitely did, even even my friends, you know, that were also, um, you know, dieting and stuff like that started saying, Heidi, this isn't normal. Um, so I definitely had friends that, that expressed concern. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was going on for you um, emotionally or in the ways that you were relating to people? You know, we, we realized that when somebody's in an active, addictive or compulsive behavior, that it does have an effect on beyond the using part. What, what was that like for you? And, um, when you were in that active phase? Sure. Well, it definitely distanced me from family and from friends, um, especially once people started to say stuff because I got very defensive. I was very committed to uh, my eating habits because I felt like it was the only way I could be happy was to, to you know, be thin and to weigh a certain amount. Um, and so, you know, as that started to happen, I started distancing myself more and more. You know, and the weirdest thing, too, was my, my relationship with myself. I, I felt like I didn't know myself. I remember looking in the mirror and just feeling like I don't even know who that is. Um, you know, I had no relationship with God. I mean, it was, um, you know, eating disorders are so incredibly 
based in fear and selfishness, that there's no way you could have an active relationship with God and be participating in that behavior. The two just, I mean, they can't, and mathematically, they can't go hand in hand. And so um, I was just completely consumed with self. And there's not a lot of room for relationships with other people or God or yourself in that, in that, um, in that space. And so I definitely was very isolated. It was a real lonely place to be. And that was the three years that, you know, that was the three years that I was really starving myself, but there were many years that I was in the midst of compulsive overeating as well. And, and that's a real lonely space to be as well. There's a lot of hiding food, you know, hiding binges, stuff like that. And, you know, pretending everyone can tell you're gaining weight, but pretending it's not happening and not acknowledging it. And that's a real lonely place to be as well. For yeah, for sure. And I know you've said uh, you said today, and you had said it when you were a guest um, uh, on Spirit of Recovery uh, earlier in the year that obviously your sister uh, had a substance addiction, and yes. there were family dynamics. Is there any way or not that you see your eating disorder was part of that family dynamic, or how did? How do you see that? Oh, definitely. Yeah, you know, and having, you know, being a counselor, I mean, I guess it would would be considered classic family systems or family dynamics. You know, my sister was, uh, you know, kind of the, the messed up kid, you know, who ended up in rehab. And, you know, she, she struggled um, more with grades um, growing up. And I was the perfect child. I was kind of the family hero who kind of took on the role of I'm going to do it all right, I'm going to make good grades, I'm going to behave perfectly, I'm going to make my parents proud to compensate or, uh, you know, for my sister's behavior. And so I think that's pretty classic or cliche that I ended up, you know, it, I, I wasn't drinking and using drugs because that's what bad kids do. And so as a result, I kind of turned, uh, turned all my emotions and the pain and the hurt and the anger inward and, and that oftentimes can end up in an eating disorder. And so it's a, it's a much more restrictive disease than drugs or alcohol, um, which is a much more out-of-control, outward disease. This was a much more inward and restrictive way to act out my pain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's a way, you know, especially the, you know, the anorexia portion of an eating disorder is very much about control, um, you know, and so... For someone who's coming from a family with, um, you know, an active addiction, um, you know, you, you desperately want control. So controlling your food and your weight is a great way to gain that. Mm-hmm. Did it get you attention in your family or not? Or how did your family react to your eating disorder? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, did it get me attention? I don't know that that was, that was my goal, but it definitely made me feel in control even in the context of my family, you know, because everybody in my family has always struggled with their weight. And so I think that on some level I had, you know, a feeling of arrogance that, you know, that I've, I've successfully achieved, you know, a, a thin weight, you know, while maybe the rest of you haven't. And so it was a way that I felt in control in the context of my family. Um, did it gain me attention? I, I don't think so. Um, I was I was real underground with it, and um, you know, but it but it definitely made me take. You know, when I got into recovery, I really had to take a look at at how um, my family dynamics had played into into my whole progression of my disease, and you know, my. Um, you know, looking at even the history and my mom's, you know, my mom's eating issues and her mom's eating issues and really looking at um, how it really is, you know, a family disease just like alcoholism is. You know, I grew up with my mom on a diet all the time. And so as a, as a little child, you know, to me that was normal to constantly be trying to control your food. Um, hold that hold that thought. We've got time for our break, but we'll be right back. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back with Nourished by the Spirit with my guest, Heidi Vogt-Smith.
If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile? That's right. Your favorite Unity online radio programs are available on your mobile device. Now you can take us with you wherever you go. Using apps from Live 365 or Stitcher, you can listen to Unity Online Radio live or on demand. To learn more, visit www.unity.fm and click on Mobile Listening. From on the air to on the sea, pack your bags and come with me. Hey, hey. A little more summer, a little more sun, a little less work and a lot more fun. A little more beach, a little more sand, a little less stress and a lot more pain. Join your favorite Unity Online Radio hosts for Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. On this fun-filled Caribbean adventure, enjoy sunshine, exceptional dining, and island excursions. Feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation, plus one-on-one time with some of your favorite hosts. That's Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. To learn more, go to unity.fm slash cruise. A little more sunset, a little more sea, a little less do and a lot more be. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad that you're with us today. If you're just joining us, our topic is Nourished by Spirit, and we're discussing recovery from eating disorders. And uh, it's very possible it uh, recovery is a reality for people that do have eating disorders. And my guest is Heidi Vogt-Smith. Heidi is a professional. She's a licensed professional counselor and the clinical director at Burning Tree Recovery Ranch, and that's burningtree.com. If you'd like to learn more about her work there, it's a facility that works with people who chronically relapse um, from addictions and supports them in developing a sustained lifelong recovery. Um, Heidi is also there, the co-creator and co-facilitator of the Family Program Workshop. She's been featured on A&E's Intervention as well as the National Geographic series How Drugs Work, and she blogs for Addiction Professional Magazine. And Heidi is also a person who is in active uh, recovery in a 12-step program from her own eating disorder. So she's uh, got lots of good information and insight to share with us today. Before I get back to my discussion with Heidi, I invite you to join me in a brief meditation, the Serenity Minute. So I invite you to relax, to breathe, to allow your breath to relax you, to let your heart and your mind open up, and share with me this constructive idea. Spirit is my source. I am deeply nourished by my higher power. Spirit is my source. I am deeply nourished by my higher power. And thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And now we're back to my conversation with my guest, Heidi Vogt-Smith. And Heidi uh, was sharing with us before the break about the family dynamics of uh, an eating disorder, the family family dynamics of addiction. So, Heidi, you were sharing with us that uh, you grew up watching your mother diet 
pretty constantly. Yes. And what else uh, did you learn from looking at your family history about uh, yourself? Well, you know, it's funny. We, we talk a lot about adult children of alcoholics. And, um, you know, something a couple of friends and uh, of mine and I have coined is an adult child of an eating disorder. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of our moms that grew up in the 50s, 60s, um, you know, may not have coined what they were going through as an eating disorder. But, you know, I can now look at my mom's history and she would even admit it now, too, that, you know, growing up with my mom as a child, um, you know, I'm in my mid 30s. I grew up with my mom in the 80s and during kind of the diet revolution. And, you know, my mom did every fad diet, you know, known to man. I mean, just every. And my dad was even doing some of them. That was when some of those um, liquid fasting diets became popular. And, uh, you know, I can remember my, for a whole year almost, my dad was on a liquid diet. And my mom did, you know, jazzercise and Weight Watchers. And, I mean, just every everything available. You know, I mean, she would have candy in the house so she wouldn't feel restricted. She'd have, you know, no sweets in the house so she wouldn't, um, you know, so she wouldn't uh, be tempted. And, you know, and it was just every week was kind of a new, uh, a new program, a new scheme, a new diet. And, um, and so I grew up with that. And um, I don't think she had any idea how that would impact me. Um, and obviously now, you know, we can talk openly about how growing up with that, you know, I did not get a normal view of, uh, you know, a healthy body image of a healthy relationship with food. To me, food was the enemy um, or it was the comforter. And so, and and I can remember even binging with my mom. I would, you know, if if she was off her diet, then it was like, you know, party. You know, we could, I could, you know, I, then I was allowed to binge with her um, because she she often, you know, kind of had me doing her diets with her. And so, you know, and I don't hold my mom responsible. One thing that I learned early in uh, in recovery is that I'd be mad at my mom either way. You know, I, I walked into recovery real resentful, like, well, my mom put me on a diet when I was in the third grade, and it's all her fault I have an eating disorder. And I realized real quickly that, you know what, if my mom hadn't put me on a diet in the third grade, I'd be mad about that. I'd think, like, well, couldn't you see me struggling? Why didn't you help me? <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I, I look back at that, and I can see that, you know, there, there was no way to win with that. It's not a, it's, it's about moving forward. Um, and, and luckily my mom and I have both, um, you know, began much healthier relationships with our body and with food in the last 10 years. And I'm really grateful that we've been able to go on that journey together. Mm-hmm. And I know you, as you said earlier today, you, you do work a 12 step program, uh, for the recovery from your eating disorder. How can that, how can that work? You know, we think of, uh, of recovery program for substances like alcohol or other drugs is okay you're abstinent but we all know you got to eat so how does that work well it's it's um it's interesting um you know in a 12-step program you know for a, a eating disorder and there's a few different ones um you have to really look at what abstinence would be for you and that's really between you and your sponsor um and, and there are some programs that are much more restrictive that really uh, prescribe to a very, uh, you know, restrictive, you know, no, no white flour, no sugar, uh, you know, no, um, you know, only two tablespoons of fat a day. And, you know, there's a very specific food plan. And that works great for a lot of people. It kind of takes the choice out of the situation and you just follow this certain food plan and that's, that's what abstinence is for you. You know, and you can be much more liberal about it and really look at, you know, abstinence um, for other people, maybe, you know, uh, abstaining from uh, purging, abstaining from diet pills, abstaining from particular behaviors, abstaining from, um, you know, eating in the middle of the night. And so it can it can really be personal to you. But it is it, because eating disorders are what we call a process addiction and it's not a chemical dependency, it is going to it's going to look really different than a, than a substance abuse disorder where it's an easy, easy fix. <laughs> I mean, you just don't drink. Um, that's what the abstinence looks like, or you don't use a particular substance. And um, it's a little bit more tricky with eating disorders. So for me specifically, my abstinence includes um, no dieting, no diet pills, and um, 
no eating in the middle of the night, which was a big part of my eating disorder, and uh, no sugar. I do not, um, I abstain from sugar, and I have uh, for eight years. And so um, sugar is not a part of my life. If I if I eat sugar, um, I'm completely out of control. I, I respond to sugar the same way that a drug addict responds to their drug of choice. And so, um, so I realized very quickly in working the 12 steps and looking at my history that sugar was something that I was going to have to remove from my life. And that was, that was a really hard pill to swallow. Um, and, and that scares people sometimes because they think, I can't get in, I can't do this thing if they're going to ask me to get off sugar. And I think it's important that people know that, that that's personal to me, that that's very specific to me, and it's something that I came to grips with and I realized was important for me, but that is by no means something that everybody has to do to get into recovery from compulsive overeating or an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So the, at least for some people, then there is a physiological or physical component to an eating disorder. Is that is that what you're telling me about the sugar? Yeah, for you? yeah, I would agree. I think, and that's what it, it is. It's very tricky. You know, I think there is some level to which some people do have a, a physical addiction to um, particular substances. Uh, you know, whether it be carbohydrates, whether it be dairy. Um, uh, or sugar, I would say sugar and white flour are the most commonly identified things that um, people who are who are looking for um, abstinence are going to take a look at, you know, at removing that from their diet. But um, but it's tricky, you know. It's it's just really hard um, because you know, for an anorexic or bulimic, they're going to glom onto that and say, "Oh yeah, 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 I I, I can't eat sugar," <laughs> and it's like that may not be the solution for someone who's anorexic. Someone who's anorexic, that's probably the last thing they need is to restrict a certain food out of their diet. But for me, as a primary compulsive overeater, um, that works for me, and so it is. It's so difficult to. Um, you know, and, and so subjective that it's really important to work with, um, you know, I would say a nutritionist, especially in early recovery, and, um, you know, a sponsor and a 12-step program and possibly even a therapist to really come up with what um, what your, you know, specific um, plan of action for abstinence is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you work the 12 steps uh, with an eating disorder? And are there books that are published specifically for the 12 steps for people with eating disorders or how's that work? Absolutely. Yeah, there's quite a few. Um, you know, there's, there's Overeaters Anonymous, there's Food Addicts Anonymous, there's, um, DEA HAL program. There are, um, you know, a few different, um, eating disorders and it, um, it depends on kind of what part of the country you're in. I think Food Addicts Anonymous is more um, prevalent in the Northeast and um, Overeaters Anonymous is more prevalent in the South. And um, But, I mean, it really is very similar to Alcoholics Anonymous or uh, Narcotics Anonymous. Um, you know, if you look online, you can find, uh, you know, the website for your local area and, uh, you know, when the meetings are. And, um, you know, there, it, it's not going to be as, as large of a program as maybe Alcoholics Anonymous. But, uh, but it does exist and there is, um, there are meetings and, and it is available. And, and so I think it's important to, to know that, that those programs do exist and the 12 steps are the same. Um, you know, you're just gonna, instead of recovering from, um, alcoholism, you're recovering from compulsive overeating or bulimia. And so you make it personal to you, but the 12 steps don't change. I mean, they're exactly the same. It's all about finding um, access to a power greater than yourself and admitting your powerlessness. And um, and the premise is exactly the same, that basically, at the end of the day, self-centered fear and selfishness is the root of our problem. And we've got to, we've got to find God and we've got to try it. We've got to quit playing God. So, um that's the cool thing is that, you know, I have a real connection to my friends that are alcoholics because I work the same 12 steps that they do. Mm-hmm. What changed for you when you began working a recovery program? Oh, wow. I mean, so much. Um, you know, for me, getting into recovery not only changed my relationship with food. I mean, that was just the beginning. It's like it, it was about the food and about kind of changing that dynamic in my life for maybe the first two years. And since then, it's about, for me, it's been about developing a relationship with God and being able to um, function well in society with others 
um, and having relationships and being available for relationships and um, being able to, to work each, each step um, in order and uh, gain access to tools and to a relationship with God has changed everything. Um, I'm, I'm able to be present for my family and for my friends. Um, I'm, and I have, and I, you know, the, when I think about my, the eating part of it, I mean, I have a normal relationship with food today. I'm not necessarily the weight that I, I want to be, you know, I, I think a lot of us would like to lose some weight, but the difference with me today is, is that, you know, my, my weight does not define me. My, um, I don't wake up thinking about what I'm, what I'm going to eat all day. I don't go to the grocery store four times a week like I used to to support my um, eating disorder. I, ha- I have a normal relationship with food. Thinking about food does not consume my life. And and because of that, I'm available to think of others. I'm available to have a career that I love. I'm available to be a mother. And I'm available to be a wife and a daughter. And, um, you know, when I was spending 18 out of 24 hours a day thinking about myself and thinking about what I was going to eat and what I wasn't going to eat and what I was going to do after I ate it, um, I wasn't available for any of that. And so because of recovery, I mean, I, I got, I got married, you know, I mean, I, I didn't date really before I got recovery. I mean, I, I was like, I had no emotional capacity to be in relationships with men. Um, I had so much shame about my body and so much shame about my eating habits. Um, like that just wasn't even on the table. And so, I mean, I, to me, I owe even being married and, and having a relationship with my husband to my recovery. That's great. You do, you do have a small child. Um, how do you deal with your child around food? It's <laughs> so interesting. It's 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 such an all-consuming thing at this point because we're trying to learn how to feed him table food, and uh, you know, but it's but it's funny that you say that because it is. Um, it's been a really interesting process having him because when he was first born and I was nursing and we were trying to make sure he was getting enough nourishment. It was like God was just kind of up in heaven, smiling down at me, you know, because I realized how. It's like what this whole thing is really about is just nourishment to live. That's what food is for. And and being able to provide that, you know, through nursing for my son was such a beautiful thing and it and it made um it made my eating disorder seem so frivolous. And I was so grateful that I was able to have that perspective that, you know, this is just about being healthy and about providing nourishment to have energy and to and to grow. Um and so, you know, but I, what I very much want and that my husband and I have talked about is for me to model, for him and I to both model a healthy relationship with food for our son. And, um, you know, my, my husband joked around about wanting our son to be a mixed martial artist, um, you know, and, and be a, you know, UFC fighter and the ultimate fighting championship. And I tell him, you know, we're not doing all that wrestling uh, where they have to starve themselves you know, for days to make weight, like we're not doing that in this household <laughs> because, mm-hmm. you know, even, even boys that get into wrestling and stuff develop eating disorders, you know, trying to make weight. And so I made it real clear to him, you know, like what we're going to do and what we're not going to do and what I want to model and what I don't want to model. And one, one small thing that's really actually very important to me, growing up, my mom, you know, like I said, was always on a diet. And so my mom would make a one meal for the family and then she would always eat her diet meal. Um, you know, so we'd get to eat like a normal meal, you know, fried chicken and, you know, mashed potatoes. And then she'd eat, you know, a half a cup of broccoli and a half a piece of grilled chicken, you know, and whatever. And, and it, and it was always just very separating. And so one of my goals with my son is to always eat a family meal and always eat the same food. Um, and that's, that's one of my, my ideals and my goal. And it seems like it should be pretty simple to, to meet up to if I continue on the path uh, with God that I have been. That's great. Heidi, I know that you're a professional working uh, at Burning Tree with Ranch, with people who chronically relapse. Um, it, and usually we think of that, that these are people that have alcohol or other drug addictions. I'm wondering if eating disorders play into their lives as well or into their relapse patterns. Very much so. Um, in fact, a, a lot of female addicts 
um, they actually begin their chemical dependency with an eating disorder. That was oftentimes the first problem, and and they begin to use diet pills um, or abuse their you know their Ritalin or Adderall, one of their kind of a stimulant uh, ADD drug. Um, okay, hold that they- thought. It's time for our break, listeners. We're we're talking about Nourished by Spirit with my guest, Heidi Vogt-Smith. Stay with us. We'll be right back. He's the most talked about figure in history. How do you see Jesus? As a savior, a way shower, a mythical hero. In his cutting-edge new book, Jesus 2.1, an upgrade for the 21st century, Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard explores the many human concepts of Jesus. The man of Nazareth has been an imaginary spiritual playmate for millions. Best friend, confidant, silent lover, surrogate father, brother, husband, trusted king when earthly governments fail, all-purpose superhero who will save the day before the final credits roll. Jesus is like a program that has been adapted through the ages while the basic code remains undisturbed despite all subsequent modifications. Now it is our time to rewrite and reinstall the Jesus program with updates for today just as every previous generation has done and every subsequent generation will do. The Romans killed Jesus for being a revolutionary. Every succeeding generation kills him anew by losing sight of the ongoing revolution in human consciousness that he represents. Explore the new book, Jesus 2.1, at www.shopunity.org. Winfrey says that Eric Butterworth's book, Discover the Power Within You, changed her perspective on life and religion. Maya Angelou quotes Emily Cady's Lessons in Truth as she recalls her own spiritual awakening. What do these books have in common? They are Unity Classics. Join Rev. Laura Beth Gilbreth, Minister of Unity Transformation, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic books. Each month, you'll be able to follow along and contribute your thoughts, questions, and ideas as we examine a different classic Unity book. From Charles and Myrtle Fillmore to Eric Butterworth, Emily Cady, and beyond, experience the foundational teachings of Unity. Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic books. Thursdays on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. You've been listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you're listening with us today. My name is Anna Schaus. I'm your host. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Nourished by Spirit. We're discussing recovering from an eating disorder. And my guest is Heidi Vogt-Smith. Heidi is a professional in the addiction field. She works with people who chronically relapse from addiction at Burning Tree Ranch. That's burningtree.com. And um, she also is a person in recovery herself from an eating disorder. Uh, if you're curious about uh, eating disorder resources or you would like to look that up, you can Google um, online. You can Google Overeaters Anonymous. You can Google Food Addicts Anonymous. You could also Google O-Anon, which is for us similar to Al- Al-Anon family groups. It's for uh, family members of folks that have eating disorders. So that's O-Anon. So uh, there are lots of resources available if that's something that uh, any of our listeners would be interested in. And there is recovery and there is hope, as Heidi is telling us so brilliantly. So Heidi, again, you're a professional. You are the clinical director at Burning Tree, and, and you were talking to us about um, when, about the interrelationship sometimes between an eating disorder and other addictions. And you were telling us about women um, who have drug addictions or alcohol addictions or often start with an eating disorder. Tell us more yeah. about how that works. 
Well, and, you know, eating disorders are so prevalent amongst teenage girls. And we just, we see the, the, the drug addiction often start with the eating disorder. In an attempt to lose weight, girls uh, begin abusing diet pills or even a stimulant drug um, like for ADD, uh, such as Ritalin or Adderall. And they'll begin abusing that because they realize quickly that if you take, um, you know, two times the dose that what, of what you're supposed to, that uh, you don't eat as much um, because it has a stimulant effect. And that quickly can spiral out of control um, into yeah, using methamphetamines, cocaine, any kind of stimulant drug because um, it, it very much makes you not eat and people become very thin on those drugs. And, um, and that's really addicting for, for a young girl who really wants to be thin and really wants to fit in to that, that mold that we have in society of, you know, the, the stick figure thin woman. And, um, and so, you know, we really do see that, that, that often is the root uh, behind a drug addiction. Uh, we, we also see when uh, clients get into treatment and actually begin taking care of their, themselves and their bodies and they're not using drugs and they're eating again and they're nourishing their body, that they inevitably are going to gain weight. And when their drug of choice or, um, or their drink of choice has been removed and they're, and they're raw and they don't have that, uh, you know, that crutch anymore, that they will often turn to an eating disorder and they will begin overeating or, um, you know, go back into really trying to control and restrict their eating. And so we, we often see it very much pop up um, in treatment as well. And um, we have to address it, um, you know, I would say very often in the female community of drug addicts and alcoholics and um, even so with, uh, with men as well. So the, the two play hand in hand. And if you're going to be working with drug addicts and alcoholics, you've got to be knowledgeable about eating disorders. And I would say vice versa as well. Mm-hmm. Does um, when people are in recovery from alcohol or drug addiction, and maybe say outside of treatment, do they? Uh, how is it? Sometimes eating disorders might crop up then, but it's not addressed. Perhaps does that? How does that affect people? Well, absolutely. I mean, if, if an eating disorder is not addressed, and 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 you can't have if you're in an active eating disorder. And, you know, let's say you're, in, you're out in the world and you're a recovering alcoholic or drug addict, but you're active in an eating disorder, you're going to be blocked from God. And, and if the very recovery um, depends on having a relationship with God and you're blocked from God, then you, there's no way you're going to stay sober either. And so eating disorders often take drug addicts and alcoholics that are in recovery back out into uh, and, and using. It's a huge relapse. I hate to use the word trigger, but I mean, it can be a relapse trigger because um, there's just no way that you're emotionally and spiritually taking care of yourself if you're active in an eating disorder. And so it's a huge, it's a huge barrier, um, especially with women. Um, I mean, I, I know that's a stereotype, but we just see it more with women um, and, and they begin you know, to be more committed to being thin than to being sober. And that's a real scary place to be, and that's when you know huge red flags go off, and uh, and someone really needs to address that and get some help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really that's important for sure. So you have uh, gotten a diagnosis recently, um, a, a, a medical diagnosis, but your recovery's been helping you with that. Absolutely, I am. Um, you know, I'm 34 years old and um, just a couple months ago got diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia. And, uh, you know, I'm, I was seven months postpartum at the time and we thought uh, maybe my thyroid was out of whack and got some blood work done and uh, came back the next morning with a diagnosis of leukemia. And uh, if that doesn't rock your world, I don't know what does. So, um, so we didn't really know what, what the cards were going to hold with that and um, what, what was going to be involved. But um, luckily, um, 
this specific type of leukemia, um, there has been a pill uh, discovered. It's one of the most significant discoveries in targeted cancer treatment in the last 20 years that basically corrects the problem. And um, so I don't have to have chemo. I, I don't have to have a bone marrow transplant. I'm just taking a pill. And um, and it seems to be correcting the problem. And, and the hope is, is that I'll just take this pill for the rest of my life and, um, you know, and be okay. So it's it's been an emotional roller coaster. And, um, you know, if I, if I was not in recovery, um, I don't know how I would have handled the news because if I had, if I didn't have a relationship with God, which I directly, um, bring back to my recovery, um, I absolutely could not have gotten out of bed every single day for the last two months knowing that, you know, I have a, a small child and I've been given, you know, a diagnosis of leukemia and, and a couple of things that really kept me going in the in the real um, intense first couple of weeks of this diagnosis before I had all the information and I was just so scared was that, um, you know, God is good and he's good all the time. And God is good whether I have terminal leukemia and God is good um, whether I don't. And, and, and that's, um, it really put my faith to the test. You know, like, okay, Heidi, do I really believe what I say I believe? Do I really believe God is who I say he is? You know, I made a decision when I worked the steps that God either is or he isn't. And I decided that God is and that, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in the world to play the role that God assigns. And okay, like, do I, I mean, here we go. <laughs> you know, I'm in the I'm in the world today to, you know, to be a, a patient with leukemia, and and that's and I either trust God or I don't. And um, and so for me, it really it really put my uh, faith to the test. And luckily, um, you know, I, I've been able to really rely on God. And and my and, you know, I can remember my sponsor after talking to her after my I got my diagnosis. She said, "Okay, Heidi." You know, here's the real question is, do you have a God that's big enough to walk through this with you? And um, and I was so glad that I could, without hesitation, say absolutely, absolutely, without without a doubt in my mind that I have an anchor in my soul um, in God, and, um, and that is absolutely 100% um, due to my recovery. What do you do on a daily basis to keep, uh, aware of that anchor in your soul? Well, you know, the, the disciplines um, of meditation, prayer, reading um, are really important to me. And so, I mean, if I, if I, if I can't um, practice those disciplines, um, I'm in trouble. And so it's, it's really important to me to um, spend time with God. I mean, if I'm going to develop a relationship um, with a person, I'm going to have to spend time with them. And so for me to... Um, be able to get grounded every single day and remember, you know, who's in charge um, and that it's God, it's not me. Um, because, goodness, when I'm in charge, it doesn't go well. So, um, you know, we all sure hope that God's in charge <laughs> and not Heidi Vote Smith. So, because um, I can guarantee you it, it would be, we'd all be in trouble. So um, that's that's really important to me and to have very good friends that I can um, bounce things off of and that bring me back to God every time. And and when I'm trying to um, think through a problem, that they always remind me that um, I need to pray more and think less. Good point. Good point. Well, Heidi, we've got a couple of minutes left here. What would you, what advice would you give to people who are in recovery, who are um, maybe, again, wondering about eating disorders in themselves or other people or just curious about it? What's, what's the bottom line? You know, I, I think that it's, it's always worth um, you know, taking an inventory of, you know, where your priorities are at any given time. If you are a person who's in recovery, you know, from a drug addiction or alcoholism and, um, you know, to just take a look and, and, and get quiet and maybe do some writing. Um, you know, I, I love having clients, um, even write kind of their food or eating life history, you know, and to just take a look at what were the messages you got as a child about food and about your body and about your relationship with, uh, food and eating and, and where are you at with that today? How important is working out and dieting to you? How much of a priority does that take? What are you teaching your children about, about food and their bodies? And to just kind of get quiet and, and, 
um, be willing to let God show you the truth about where you're at with that, you know, and, and it may be the opposite. It may be that you're not taking care of yourself and that you're, you know, overweight and you're stuck in a cycle of uh, compulsive overeating to really look at that and, and, and what you're doing with the body that God's given you and, um, you know, and how, uh, how you can address that, you know, through a relationship with God is, is amazing. Um, but you know, I want to be real clear too, that, I mean, there's always a place for, like I said, a nutritionist and a therapist as well. I, I love, um, utilizing the 12 steps with eating disorders, but I think, um, you know, anytime we've abused our bodies and uh, become extremely underweight or spent a lot of years using laxatives or purging um, or being o- extremely overweight or underweight, we need to see a doctor. And um, that's really important um, to, to get checked out by a medical doctor and to get you know, get involved with a nutritionist and a therapist and have a whole treatment team as part of your recovery. Okay. Heidi, thank you so much. You have given us treasures today. And uh we, I am so appreciative of your recovery and am so grateful that there's a solution uh, around the leukemia. And I know that uh, you will continue to let your light shine. Thank you for who you are and what you do. Thanks for being my guest today. Thanks for having me. And listeners, glad you've been with us today. Thank you so much. Blessings to you for who you are and all that you do. And thanks for listening to Spirit of Recovery. Know that uh, you are in my thoughts and prayers and have a blessed week. Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. What would a human life, based on the principles of an evolutionary spirituality, look like? Reverend Kelly Isola wants to talk with people of every faith or no faith at all to passionately participate in the next great epic in the emergence of consciousness and culture. If the choice is ours to consciously evolve, then what can life look like at this pivotal time in human history? Join us each Wednesday at 11 a.m. Central Time for Spiraling Consciousness with host Reverend Kelly Isola right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on these words from Reverend Joan Gattuso. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies, either minuscule or outrageous, for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. A noble being will always tell the truth. Do you? Begin now with the first step of simply noticing if you do tell the truth immediately or if your first instinct is to alter the facts a bit. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Celebrated Unity Minister and author Eric Butterworth tells us, The exciting thing is that wherever you may be along the way of unfoldment and self-realization, no matter what the problems or challenges you may face, there is always more in you, the mystery of God in you, the Christ in you, which means your potential for healing, for overcoming, for prosperity. There is no limit. Join us each week for Discovering Eric Butterworth, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Central Time with host Rev. Tom Thorpe. 
right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.